0: Good morning and welcome. It's so good to see you and welcome to those who are watching online. In case you're wondering why we didn't have the 9 o'clock start time, Uh, we were having some technical issues with the microphone. So now uh, it's working maybe a little too well. It's pretty loud up here. I don't know if it's too loud back there. But um, this morning we celebrate Trinity Sunday. And so we focus on uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the role that uh, the Trinity, the triune God, has in our lives, and especially looking at the second part of the uh, uh, sermon Peter preached on Pentecost Sunday. So uh, please stand as we begin our worship together today with a hymn of praise to our God, crown him with many crowns. name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, Lord, have mercy upon us. Let us confess our sin to God. O Lord, merciful Father, you keep covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. We confess that we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We have not heeded your law, nor have we rejoiced in your gospel. We confess that things have fallen apart. But Lord, you keep covenant even when we do not. Your love is steadfast when ours is frail and fallible you are faithful even when we are faithless we want you to be our god and we want to be your covenant people grant us the gift of faith by your holy spirit work in us steadfastness and singleness of heart that we might manifest your love in the keeping of your commandments and the living of your gospel O lord merciful father Hear our prayers in the name of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new and eternal covenant, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Upon this, your confession, I announce the grace of God to all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The psalm for Trinity Sunday today is Psalm 8. Old Testament. Please be seated. Our Old Testament reading from Proverbs chapter 8 begins with verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work Thanks be to God. Uh, The epistle reading, which is also the basis for our message today, is from Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. And this is a continuation of what we read last week. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Jews answered Jesus, Are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him, I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We confess our faith together singing the credo. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Our reading today ended with verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. But I'd like to continue on from there to the end of uh, this section. So we ended reading, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And Peter then continues, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David, in other words, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the many languages that they were hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So as I mentioned earlier, today is the first Sunday after the celebration of Pentecost, which we read and heard about uh, last week. On this Sunday every year, the week after Pentecost, many Christians and churches all around the world focus on the Trinity. The word Trinity or triune is commonly used to describe the fact that God has revealed himself to be one God and at the same time three distinct persons. In this one Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we heard references to all three uh, in our reading from Acts. The events in our reading occurred on the day of Pentecost, which was one of the major Jewish festivals. God had commanded the Israelites to celebrate this festival, each year going back to the time of Moses and Mount Sinai. Pentecost, from the Greek word for 50th day, as you may have heard last week, was the Jewish Feast of Harvest, or first fruits. And was held 50 days after the Passover commemoration. And in this case, 50 days after the day Jesus had been raised from the dead. This particular Pentecost festival was a momentous day. On this day, God poured out the Holy Spirit with a loud and rushing wind. And the apostles began to speak in at least 15 different tongues and dialects, which were heard and understood by the multicultural crowd gathered near the temple in Jerusalem for the festival. If you were here last week or listening online, you heard Pastor Miller's sermon, which focused on the first part of Apostle, the Apostle Peter's sermon or speech that day. Today we focus on the last half of his transforming message. When Peter stood up with the other 11 disciples around him to address the crowd, and there may have been as many as 120, Acts chapter 1 talks about the 120 who gathered together after the, uh, at the time of the ascension. Peter wasn't the same man as he was 50 days earlier. Prior to Jesus' crucifixion, just seven short weeks before, Peter was denying the Lord three times before the rooster crowed. But since then, he had seen the risen Lord. He had seen Jesus with his own eyes walking, and with his hands he had touched the nail marks in his hands and in his feet, and the gash from the spear in his side. He had eaten with the resurrected Jesus and had even spoken with him one-on-one when Jesus clearly forgave him for his denial and reinstated him, telling Peter to take care of his sheep and to feed his lambs. He was also there when Jesus told him and the others to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in Matthew 28. More than that, Peter had been an eyewitness, as he and the others saw Jesus arise into heaven and disappear into the clouds, after which they saw two angels in white telling them to follow Jesus' commands. And now Peter and the others had been filled with the Holy Spirit, he received a power from above, a God-fueled boldness, filling his mind and mouth, transforming him from scared Peter to bold Peter, and with the words to speak to thousands gathered at the temple. With a loud and courageous voice, we read that he addressed them, reminding them of the prophecy of Joel, spoken over 500 years before, that God would pour out his spirit before the day of judgment, and men and women would see uh, visions and Have dreams from God. He concludes the prophecy of Joel by quoting that God would reveal wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Dear friends, judgment day is coming. Peter, like Joel before him, was calling out to his people to be ready for that day. And that same message still applies to us today. The Lord will return. He will come back the same way that he departed. Are you ready for him? We now pick up the second part of Peter's speech where he defines who this Lord is, who they need to call on if they are to be saved from God's wrath to come. If you'd like to turn in your worship guide uh, to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter addresses the people of Israel. He makes it very clear who he is referring to, who this Lord is that they need to call on. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. These people, this crowd, were were very aware of who Jesus was and what he had done he was attested by god throughout his ministry on earth and even up to the week prior to his arrest and crucifixion matthew chapter 21:14 states that jesus was healing the blind and the lame just a short time before the passover celebration during which time jesus was arrested just prior to that he had raised lazarus from the dead in a village just outside jerusalem they were miracles or mighty works Because they showed God's power. They were wonders because there was no earthly explanation for what he did. And the people were in awe. They were signs because they pointed to the truth of who Jesus was. True God and at the same time true man. Born of woman yet the son of God. Jesus had demonstrated repeatedly his power over nature. He calmed the sea by his words. He cast out demons and healed the sick on numerous instances. He raised the dead. The people should have believed Jesus was the Messiah. The Hebrew term meaning Christ or anointed one, just on the basis of these many miracles, wonders, and signs. But instead, the religious leaders became indignant, puffed up with their own pride. They made false accusations, plotted together, and plotted together to end his life. Finally, they convinced the crowds and Pilate to crucify him. However, In verse 23, Peter explains that Jesus' death was part of a greater overarching plan. Look at verse 23, where we read, He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Although God, the Father, did not kill His Son, that was done by the hands of lawless men, God did allow His Son to be offered up unto His death, knowing that He would be raised again, since it was not possible for Him to be held by death. Neither was Jesus a victim of the crowd or of chance. He foretold his death multiple times to his disciples, saying in Matthew chapter 16.21 and Matthew 20.18 that he must be put to death and on the third day be raised to life. In John chapter 10.17-18, Jesus stated he willingly would lay down his life and had power over death. He said, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus and his Father both recognized and accepted that a holy and sinless sacrifice for mankind's sin was necessary in order for human beings to be redeemed and set free from their just curse and punishment. Jesus willingly endured the price necessary for our salvation, his death. But that was not the end. Peter continues, In verse 25 to 28, quoting King David from Psalm 16, 8 through 11, David foresees the Messiah who would say to the Lord, you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Peter makes it clear that David wasn't speaking of himself. David died and was buried and his body had decayed. He died almost a thousand years prior. Peter points out that David saw the Lord, that David prophetically saw that Jesus would not be abandoned, that Jesus' body would not see decay. Jesus, the offspring of David, the one whom God had promised David would sit again on his throne and rule in righteousness. Instead, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Jesus Is alive. He is risen. Next, Peter explains to the crowd Jesus' current position. He who had died and now raised to life is exalted at the right hand of God. It is because of Jesus' exalted position that he is able to continue to fulfill what he had come to accomplish. He's not dead, he's not in the grave, he is risen beginning with what the crowd was observing at this Pentecost feast of harvest, the rushing of the wind and the languages that were being spoken. Now God's gift is being released. Jesus, we read, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what the crowd could now see and hear with their own eyes and ears, the proof of what Peter was saying. Peter again quotes quotes David, this time from Psalm 110. Though it is written by David, it is a messianic psalm showing the interaction between the Messiah, Jesus, the future interaction between the Messiah, Jesus, and his heavenly Father. The Lord, the word here is Yahweh in Hebrew. Uh, Remember, Jesus said in the gospel reading, I am, referring to this term, how God referred to himself uh, to Moses. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai in the Hebrew. Yahweh said to Adonai. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter uses this passage from David, from David's psalm to explain to the Jewish crowd who knew these psalms very well the relationship between Jesus and God the Father. <clears throat> Peter communicates that the Father is God and Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Together, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God, yet simultaneously three distinct persons coexisting eternally in the one Godhead. Jesus had revealed God's power through miracles, wonders, and signs. And he died according to the will and plan of God at the hands of ungodly men. Yet God raised him from the dead and exalted him at his right hand. All of this had been prophesied about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled each prophecy one by one. Peter declares his conclusion in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The crowd's response to Peter's Holy Spirit-inspired speech was visceral and immediate. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We, we killed the Messiah. We're doomed. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 states, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. As Peter quoted the word of God to the crowd, they were cut wide open. Yet this sword of the Spirit was not meant for their destruction, but for their salvation. Just as a surgeon has to cut with a scalpel to remove a deadly tumor, God's word must cut and slice and yes, even put to death in order that one might receive the new life he freely offers. Dear friends, let God's word have its way with you. Allow it to cut as deeply as is needed, to kill the flesh, to reveal the full extent of your sin, as it did for the listeners in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost. And remember also, Jesus was pierced. He was cut for you, for your sins and mine, and the sins of all mankind of all time, When his hands and feet were nailed to the Roman cross and his side pierced with the spear after his death. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, he was pierced for our transgression. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus' piercing brought him death. So that our piercing, the piercing of our hearts by God's word, might bring us life. Pierced, along with the Pentecost crowd, we cry out, Brothers, what shall we do? You and I are also guilty and cannot save ourselves. It is for our sins also that Jesus hung naked, despised and rejected from a cross. We too, in this sense, have crucified the Messiah. We have killed the Christ. We have put the Lord to death. How can we be saved? We are doomed. But Peter has a solution. And his response is direct and simple. He tells the crowd, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Repentance is key to Peter's response. Repentance was the call of the Old Testament's prophets so the Israelites could escape God's wrath and instead experience his blessing. We see this in Ezekiel 18.30. It was the call of both John the Baptist and Jesus in calling people to escape the wrath to come and to prepare people for the kingdom of heaven which was at hand. Later in Peter's second sermon in Acts chapter 3 in verse 19, he calls the people to repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Then in Acts 5, while addressing the council, Peter says in verse 31, Jesus is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. When Peter reported to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem what God had done at Cornelius the Gentile's house, they concluded that God had granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life the repentance that leads to life. Paul's message to the Jews and Greeks in his many missionary journeys was the, same, the very same. In Acts chapter 17, 30, Paul proclaimed that men everywhere should repent for God's judgment was coming. And in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, during Paul's defense before King Agrippa, he explained that his ministry consisted, Paul's ministry consisted of telling Jew and Gentile alike that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. This last quote is a reminder to us that the repentance of salvation, the repentance unto life, is much more than an intellectual exercise. It's much more than simply showing up and saying, God, I'm sorry, with the idea that you'll go right back to what you were doing before. Paul explains 2 Corinthians 7 verse, 10, in 7 verse 10 that there is a sorrow that is according to God that produces repentance without regret unto salvation, but there's also the sorrow of the world that produces death. A change of mind merely, a mere change of mind does not result in a change of direction and action and is not true Repentance. If you are heading north in the right direction and then change your mind and decide to go south, that is no real repentance unless you turn around and go the other way. Repentance is turning from sin to righteousness. True repentance can only result through the working of the Holy Spirit within us and through His Word even outside of us. It cannot be produced within us apart from the piercing word of God and the accompanying work of the Holy Spirit. Thus, repentance is not a work. We're not saved by works. But it is a working of God within us, upon us. Similarly, baptism is not a work, but a gift from God. Peter said to the crowd, repent and be baptized. His solution to them was to repent and to be baptized. Every one of you. What so many people get wrong is that baptism is not a work of man. It's not a mere outward sign. But it is also a gift and promise of God through which the Lord is at work to bring about our regeneration, our rebirth. And this occurs not apart from the Word of God, but because of the word and the promises of God the word of God working in and through baptism the power of God at work Jesus commands his apostles in Matthew 28:19 and 20 to make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them in Romans 6 we read that through the power of God's word at work in and through baptism we are united with Christ in his death burial and resurrection we are united with Christ in baptism, in his death, burial, and resurrection. God is at work through means. And baptism, what Paul refers to in Ephesians 5.26 as the washing of water with the word. The washing of water with the word is one, one of the main means that God uses to bring us into his family. When the very words which Jesus gave his disciples to speak are spoken, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as water is applied. It is the power of God's word that is at work. God the Father becomes the baptized Heavenly Father. God the Father calls you His child. Jesus, the Savior of the world, becomes your personal Savior. You are united to Him in His death and resurrection. In a mystical way. The Holy Spirit is given to you as a seal or pledge of salvation to dwell within you. What a wonderful gift of God baptism is. Especially as we come to understand it in all its fullness as God wants us to. Not adding anything to it and not taking anything away from it. Simply looking at what the New Testament, what God in the New Testament has to say about it. Now, is it possible for a person to turn his or her back on everything God offers in this gift of baptism according to his word? Absolutely. Just as the prodigal son turned his back on his father, or as Peter denied knowing Jesus. Yet, just as the father awaited the prodigal's return, and as Jesus restored Peter, so the loving father, our Savior Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are awaiting the return, the repentance of all who turn away from him. Yes, repentance is tremendously important, turning our face from sin and returning to the Lord, and so is baptism, as Peter states. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The two go together. And following repentance and baptism, Peter says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gift God gives us. It's a gift we we don't really fully appreciate. His very presence taking up residence in the temple of your heart. How little we understand and appreciate this precious gift from God. It is the Holy Spirit who is at work outside of us, initially through God's word, even prior to our conversion. He is the one who convicts you of your sin. He is the one who compels you to believe in Jesus for your salvation. He is the one who urges you to repent and draws you then to the waters of baptism. Following your conversion and now within you, the Holy Spirit continues to lead you to God's life-giving word, both at home and in church, helps you to communicate with God through prayer and to understand his mysteries, and empowers you to say no to sin and temptation and yes to godliness and righteousness. Peter wasn't finished after saying these things. He continued to speak to the crowd with many other words we read, and he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Peter knew the gravity of, of his situation. Many of the people he was speaking to from many different lands surrounding Jerusalem, might, he might never meet again. He might never have an opportunity to tell them about their Savior. And if he told them, and if they received it, they could bring that message of life and hope back to their homes all around the then known world. And that's exactly what happened. He continued to try to reach them through his words and by the power of the Holy Spirit within him. And the Holy Spirit moved mightily. We read that those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the 120 men and women already devoted to following Christ as mentioned in Acts 1. Dear friend, how about you? Have you already devoted yourself to believing and following Jesus? Have you already been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? If so, praise the Lord, and to God alone be the glory. Continue to pray for God's Spirit to move you ever closer in your relationship with your Father, Savior, and Comforter. Ask God to move you deeper into discipleship to lead others to Christ so they too can become baptized disciples. However, maybe you still have doubts. Could God really love me? Is all of this really true? If God really knew me, don't my sins still separate me from God? God does know you. And God does love you. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Remember that God chose David, and Jesus chose Peter, both prominent in our reading from Acts. God knew they were sinful people. David was not pure on so many levels. As king, he committed adultery with his own soldier's wife, then had him killed to cover it up. He was a murderer and adulterer and a liar. Peter, soon after meeting Jesus in Luke 5, 8, said, "'Depart from me, Jesus!' I am a sinful man. Remember that in the boat? But Jesus didn't depart from him. He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of man. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me is what Jesus says to you today, with all your doubts, with all your fears, with all your sins. Later, Peter would rebuke Jesus for saying he would be put to death. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He denied Jesus after his rest, and still Jesus loved him and pursued him. God knew they were sinful. God knows you are sinful. Yet he deeply loved them, and he chose them to carry out his divine will and plan. And ultimately, they both acknowledged their sin and turned from it. They repented. They turned from sinful ways to again following the living, loving Lord. And now, amazingly, they're still encouraging you and me today to do the same thousands of years later. Since God loved them, chose them, and entrusted them to carry forward his plan to save, you can trust that God loves you, that he has chosen you too, and he desires you to belong in his kingdom. Here again Peter's words in Acts 2.36. I'll just wrap up with this. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. As an eyewitness to Jesus' miracles and signs, his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, and now filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter was confident in who Jesus was. There was no doubt in his mind. And he wanted the people of Jerusalem to be confident as well, to know for certain The life of Jesus is not a myth or a fable. It was a reality. And many eyewitnesses were faithful to attest to it, even at the risk of death. It is a certainty. It happened. And you can be confident, too, that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. It is trustworthy. It is true. The more you read and study the Bible, particularly the prophets, which point forward to Jesus, And as you examine the miracles Jesus performed, the more confident you become. Remember, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is for you. And as God has transformed millions of lives and continues to do so, his desire is to transform your life too. Let it be so. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you Thank you for raising up people like David and Peter, sinful men that you could have easily never have chosen and, and could have easily turned your back on, but you didn't. You led them to repent and you forgave and restored and gave them a new life. Lord, we are sinners. We don't deserve your grace. And we freely admit it. As you had mercy on them, Lord, have mercy on us. And as you restored them and used them, use this congregation, Lord, use the people hearing these words today to your glory and the salvation of many. In Jesus' name, amen. Gathering up the offerings. Stand for prayer. Friends in Christ, I urge you to lift up your hearts to God and pray with me as Christ our Lord has taught us and freely promised to hear us. O God, our Father in heaven, look with mercy on us, your needy children on earth. Grant us grace that your holy name would be hallowed by us and all the world through the pure and teaching of your word and the fervent love shown forth in our lives. Graciously turn from us all false doctrine and evil living, whereby your precious name is blasphemed and profaned. Lord, in your mercy, may your kingdom come to us and expand. Bring all transgressors and those who are blinded and bound in the devil's kingdom to know Jesus Christ, your Son, by faith that the number of Christians may be increased. Lord, in your mercy, strengthen us by your Spirit according to your will both in life and in death, in the midst of both good and evil things, that our own wills may be crucified daily and sacrificed to your good and gracious will. into your merciful hands we commend all who are in need, praying for them at all times. Thy will be done. Lord, in your mercy. Grant us our daily bread. Preserve us from greed and selfish cares. And help us trust in you to provide all our needs. Lord, in your mercy, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us so that our hearts may be at peace and may rejoice in a good conscience before you and that no sin may ever frighten or alarm us. Lord, in your mercy, lead us not into temptation, O Lord, but help us by your spirit to subdue our flesh, to turn from the world and its ways and to overcome the devil with all his wiles. Lord, in your mercy, And lastly, O Heavenly Father, deliver us from all evil of both body and soul, now and forever. Lord, in your mercy. We trust, O Lord, in your great mercy to hear and answer us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Lord, in your mercy. On this Trinity Sunday, as many Christian churches do, we use a different creed to confess our faith in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Typically, we use what are known as the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Um, today, we use a different creed called the Athanasian Creed. These three creeds are considered the three uh, Catholic with a small c or universal creeds of the Christian church and have been used for centuries, um, over a 1,000 years, well over a 1,000 years. The Athanasian Creed does have a number of uh, statements in it that uh, I don't want you to be confused by what they mean especially if you're confessing these things so first off at the the first statement where it says we hold the catholic faith we're not saying uh, we're roman catholic but catholic with a small c this word simply means universal we could have easily just put the word universal instead of catholic The universal faith the universal christian faith And so wherever that word Catholic with a small c is used, that is the meaning of it. Not Roman Catholic, but universal, the universal faith. So I wanted to make sure you understood that. And also, I wanted you to um, look at the, at the last part of this treat, um, where it says, those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. Uh, We all understand that those who do evil are condemned for their sin and deserve uh, the flames of hell. All of us deserve uh, condemnation. Uh, This uh, creed is not professing a works righteousness, that we are saved by our works, that we receive eternal life through our works. No, instead, uh, it confesses uh, the truth about who Jesus is earlier in the creed. This creed is simply saying, along with Jesus during his ministry, that those who uh, do unto others, that we are to do unto others as we would would have done unto us. We should love others as God has loved us, that our works be an outflowing of our faith. And if our life does not show uh, works, it's not that works save us, Jesus saves us, but if our, wa- if our life does not show good, then there's something that's not right. Because a tree is known by its fruit, as the scriptures say. And so a Christian's life will be known by its, by its fruit, by doing good. And so I just wanted to make sure that as we spoke those uh, parts, that um, there were no misunderstandings about what is being confessed. If you have any questions, you'd like to talk more about it, I'd be happy to talk with you about this after the service, too. All right, we confess our faith in the words of the Athanasian Creed. If you can, please join me. Whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will, without doubt, perish eternally. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. Just as there are not three uncreated or three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. In the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit almighty. And yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. Just as we are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so also are we prohibited by the Catholic religion to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father is not made nor created nor begotten by anyone. The Son is neither made nor created, but begotten of the Father alone. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. Thus there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another, none is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal, so that in all things, as has been stated above, the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity is to be worshipped. Therefore, whoever desires to be saved must think thus about the Trinity. But it is also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is the right faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time both God and man. He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages, and he is man, born from the substance of his mother in this age. Perfect man, composed of a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity, Although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One, however, not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. One altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For as the rational soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ. For our salvation descended into hell rose again the third day from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father God Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. So the words of this creed, as the other creeds, um, were compiled, were were written to um, bring clarity where there had been confusion about uh, the nature of the Trinity. And I hope these words help you um, to have greater clarity as you reflect on them um, in your own understanding of the Trinity and of the mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is true God And true man. We prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord our God, King of all creation. For you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Grant us your Spirit, gracious Father, that we may give heed to the testament of your Son in true faith and above all firmly take to heart the words with which Christ gives to us his body and blood for our forgiveness. By your grace, lead us to remember and give thanks for the boundless love which he manifested to us when, by pouring out his precious blood, he saved us on the cross from your righteous wrath and from sin, death, and hell. Grant that we may receive the bread and wine, that is, his body and blood, as a gift, guarantee, and pledge of his salvation. Graciously receive our prayers. Deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And may the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Maybe see May you have a blessed rest of your uh, Trinity Sunday and go with God's grace. Uh, As Jesus has said, you have received the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May he strengthen you and keep you in true faith to life everlasting. Depart in peace. Amen. us bless the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Take time to meet those and greet those standing around you. Try to meet someone new today. And um, if you haven't seen them here before, welcome them to the family of God.